Welcome, everyone. Welcome, everyone, to your Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast by Fantastic Geek, the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. I know the future. Let's talk. The Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 709, as I have always been, is brought to you by Tattletale for Men. Just something tools leave lying around. Pete, here we are about to dive into Elizabeth Henstridge's directorial debut later today as we record this on on Saturday the 25th. Later today will be the uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. San Diego Comic-Con at-home panel. Not a full S.H.I.E.L.D. panel, kind of half talking about the show, half talking about the science of it. But we are going to have an abridged uh, coverage of that tomorrow on the same Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. feeds that you're listening to this. Absolutely. As we discuss that, Matt, we shift here. Elizabeth Henstridge making her directorial debut with this episode, but unusually, and what is set up as the pattern for this season, not being able to direct her on-screen husband. Yes, I think growing concern as to the real behind-the-scenes fate of Fitz and when we are going to get in the case sticker, etc., uh, but certainly, Pete, great to see her directing this episode. Unfortunately, it perhaps the lowest rated live viewer episode of uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but no knock against Henstridge there for that. And this coming too, as we will be hitting our uh, Star Trek Universe panel tomorrow. So lots coming out of Fantastic Geek here with San Diego Comic Con. When we catch you up on what went down, the healing tube shimmies as Daisy wakes and opens it. Susa still watching over her. She asks how long he's been there since she went to sleep. Did they jump again? He's not sure. On the tech deck, Mac reports damage to all systems. May is trying to get a read on their location after the time drive overloaded. Does anybody want to fill Daisy in on what's outside the Zephyr, visible through the cockpit windows as we hit the title card, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. On the tech deck, the flight system is fried. Radiation levels are off the chart. Deke reports that they're trapped in a time storm. They did a jump within a jump and are circling the drain. They're being pulled in and are 94 kilometers from the vortex. An explosion sounds. Mac can't see. And Yo-Yo is trapped in the Quinjet, cut to Simmons, ready to help Mac, and she sees a drawer of something. Enoch asks slash suggests that they look at the time drive. Daisy puts out uh, the flare and sees the time drive whirring. Then Pete, she awakens in the healing tube. The healing tube shimmies as Daisy wakes and opens it. Susa still watching over her. She asks how long he's been there. Since she went to sleep, did they jump again? He's not sure. Take us to the tech deck, Matt. She sees that there's damage to all systems, sees that they're in a time warp. <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast by Fantastic Geek, the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. I know the future. Let's talk. The Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 709, as I have always been, is brought to you by Tattletale for Men. Just something tools leave lying around. When we catch you up on what went down, as events repeat themselves, Daisy realizes there is a major brain fart happening. Indeed, Pete, Daisy is ahead of the curve as they're in a vortex and are now 91 kilometers away. Daisy prevents the flare from hitting Mac, and she starts to share a bit that she knows more. She goes over to see Simmons. She says that she is time-looping, she being Daisy. Uh, and does that drawer have Deke's 80s cologne? Uh, Daisy goes to put out the flare and then sees Coulson, and Daisy awakens in the healing tube, letting Sousa sleep 
On the tech deck, she gives orders to shut the cockpit doors and handle the situation. She goes to see Coulson and tells him what's what. He asks how long it took her to figure it out this time to end the act. Coulson was really hoping not to have this conversation again, but Daisy forgot everything she went through. He guesses this means she died again and always says it just like that. They're the only two who remember until the reset, and then she has to learn everything over again. It's annoying because he's the one who has to teach her every time. He's done it 14 times so far. No, she's died 14 times. They've been through the loop 87 times that he knows about. How is this possible? Well, he puts forth a theory, at least one that they remember. Uh, They're both in futuristic sleeping pods. Jump time. Come wake him up. Daisy wakes in the healing tube. Shut the door. Sparks. She wakes Coulson. There's feedback like a record skipping. Daisy awakes. Coulson. No, no. No nav. No controls. This is loop 90 that they're on now. They're running out of time. Literally. The distance numbers are going down. They're 79 kilometers out. Each loop brings them a little closer. They need to increase the time in loops or solve faster, which Pete takes us back to the tech deck. Well, hang on there, Matt. Loops 23 through 42, those (gasps) numbers, okay? They tried increasing the time they have, didn't work. So now they, on the, uh, the faster solve train here, with the reset, stops, sparks, yo yo, Simmons, Deke, repeat, 65 kilometers away now. Has Fitz left anything to help? Deke is going to check. Who? Pete, listen, you you may have forgotten the character of Fitz, uh, who used to appear in the show, and each week slowly breaks our hearts that he's not, I I think, perhaps at this point, relegated to a guest star status in what remains of the show, but time will tell on that, most ironically. Uh, Deke is going to check to see if Fitz has left anything for help, uh, but clues Simmons in. Did he tell them? He says, no, he's keeping the secret. This is, of course, the secret of the implant. Uh, The implant, however, needs to come out so that her memories can come back to help the situation. Uh, We get a little reminder that it is in there to keep the chronicoms from Fitz. And Daisy says once they have the answer, the loop will reset. Therefore, the, the, the breaking in trust, the removal of the implant will be reset as well. Simmons uses a fake word, phlebotinum, and gets ready to remove the implant. All of a sudden, she can't breathe. The doors are locked. And she dies. No big deal. We get a reset. Phlebotinum. Daisy's in the implant removal room. The gas arrives again. And both ladies are dead. Again, Enoch sees a cut in the line. It is precise. It is on purpose. It is murder to end the act. Daisy awakens yet again. So does Sousa. 48 kilometers away. Again, 41 kilometers. Super obvious suspects now. Enoch. Deke Simmons. However, she is less obvious of a suspect having been killed. Max having a hard time believing one of them would kill the others. It wasn't Yo-Yo. Better try it on the next loop. Bottom line, the implant still needs to come out. Mac and Coulson can't believe that someone would kill one of the agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Maybe there's a Chronicom in the fold. What if Yo-Yo is the solution? The decision is made to try and free her in the next loop. In the next loop, Coulson is welding her out and wonders if perhaps she's the one that did the dirty deed. Uh, ultimately, he gets the door open, ready to go, and boom, phlebotinum. Time for Daisy and Simmons to get to work. We see the cologne again. Daisy's starting to put things together. Uh, looking in the drawer, Sousa says it's a trap because they're clearly after Simmons. He grabs the item. See, it's fine. Then something fires, and he dies. Pete, what happens next? Repeat. (laughs) He's alive and asleep. They're no closer to knowing what's going on, but making progress thanks to Sousa. Coulson talks about the soul-crushing nature of everything he's experienced. This is a metaphor in real life. He's watched everyone he loves die over and over again, He's a machine. He has programming. Wait a minute. Machine? Programmed? Enoch? Now, Pete, I need to point out, you 
you you skipped over one small but important detail here. Yes, Colson is talking about the big death, but perhaps chance of the little death in the air because we have in uh, this latest wake up uh, of Daisy in the healing tube, looking at Sousa sleeping, perhaps love in the air, certainly setting things up for later. Uh, the story takes us to the bay. Colson pitches Enoch as the baddie programmed to protect subconsciously uh, by Simmons, who would not remember having set that program. Maybe nothing will stop him from protecting humanity. They bring the scanner to Simmons, and he attacks. He indeed was programmed to protect the implant at all costs, even to kill, even to kill Simmons. He gets quaked and is surprised to be revealed to himself as a baddie. Oh dear, to end the act. Daisy's eyes open again. Why does Sousa care? Coulson proposes that they get the implant out of Simmons without Enoch finding out. He finds out. Indeed, Pete, he kills her. But of course, death, a cheap thing in this episode. Uh, Enoch starts each loop hearing Simmons. Perhaps in the next loop, uh, there's a solution. Indeed, there is. Sousa is sent to delay Enoch. Uh, shouldn't they dine at the same time? It's great for morale. Enoch notes false pretenses to delay him, and he kills Daisy. Maybe they'll try the direct approach. Uh, they want to tell him something funny. It'll be ironic. Cut to them beaten up in the bay. Hey, Enoch, Simmons has a question. Can you countermand an order I gave you? They're beat up. Hey, Enoch, everyone wants to talk to you. They're beat up, and Deke is dead. Pete finally, Daisy awakens from the healing tube. She's stuck in a time loop and can't save everyone. They're running out of time. She can take a loop and talk it over with Sousa. Uh, that's not blown him away. Is he phased? Sure he is, but he's always ready to help her. Why? Some of his favorite people are like her. Focused on the greater good. Focused on being alone until the problem is solved. When people like her run into walls, people like him are there to pick him up. Double points if they're the kind of people who can rock things with a superpower. Pete, I am all in on Dooza or Daisy or Dowsy or whatever you want to call it. I'm totally into these two finding some sort of commonality, some sort of romance, some sort of companionship, and who knows what else. Sousa goes to see Simmons here, which Enoch witnesses, tells her uh, not tells him not to attempt to move remove Simmons' implant. Mac closes a door. Uh, Daisy's going to take care of it. May is there. Yo-Yo is there. The four of them are going to slow him down. But it took too long. Next time, the same thing, but faster. Daisy awakens in the healing tube. Can Sousa do something for her? She kisses him. Now let's do the procedure. They are 11 kilometers out, and Daisy removes the implant. Uh, how can they fix the time drive? Simmons has her memories come back. She laughs. Enoch is the key. His electro displacement mechanism, it can be used in the time drive, but taking it out would kill him. Simmons remembers more. What has she done? What has she done? No! Reset. Daisy's eyes closed to end the act. Act 5, exterior Zephyr 1. Inside it, there's damage on the tech deck. Daisy closes the doors, says everything's going to be okay. Simmons meet her in the LMD lab. Bring Enoch. They're one kilometer away. They are less than one kilometer away, which, Matt, at the rate of speed they were going, the amount that happens before Enoch hands over the uh, electrocon and uh, displacement mechanism, let alone dies from it. Uh, inconceivable. Well, two thoughts. A, it being a time vortex, I think they get to play fast and loose with time. B, I genuinely believe, I mean, look, any, any script, right, is going to be slightly overwritten. So if you need to pull from here, pull from there, if something works, you, you know, you, you use the longer take from another scene. I genuinely believe that when they wrote the Enoch scene, it was written, the Enoch death scene that we'll be covering shortly, that it was written with the best intentions. And then it was so good that they said, we need to keep this entire scene. If the episode is a bit long, we're going to take from other areas, but we're not cutting from here. Uh, so I think that maybe that, that speaks to your point, Pete, that why is maybe the time a little different? It's because that death scene was so darn good. 
in the LMD lab, Simmons and Enoch enter. They have not told anybody yet. They're going to take out this electrochron displacement mechanism. He understands. He removes it. Enoch does. He believes that is what they need. He did what needed to be done, apparently. And because of that, the rest of them will live. He'd like to think Fitz, whoever that is, would have done the same for him. And he thanks all of them. Oh my, he does not feel well at all. The music here saying that it's very serious. Uh, Simmons, of course, takes the electro-displacement part as Enoch collapses. Deke hooks things up and Max says that they'll jump in a minute. Uh, Enoch is dying. He never used to feel lonely, but the meeting of this particular team of S.H.I.E.L.D. agents turned into a lonely feeling without them. He feels anxiety now, but Coulson says he's not alone. Coulson and Daisy will stay. They will stay to the end, and he will go to the end alone, and he wonders if he will feel lonely. Coulson says that dying is indeed lonely. Enoch is sorry, Philip J. Coulson. Enoch is told that the team will carry on because of him. He notes his friends will survive, but the team will not. He has seen the future. Carry on this mission and cherish it, for it is the last mission together. Daisy maintains that's not possible. This is her family. But he sagely points out it is the nature of families. On countless worlds, countless times he's seen this. Arrival, celebration, departure, grief the cycle is always there no one escapes it not even him so he is not alone he is part of the cycle Fitz was his best friend and as he has always with that he has died uh Max says that they are ready to jump it's been successful we are heartbroken as we end the act Pete I think perhaps that's where the episode should have ended uh but we have a tag scene yeah, not the wisest inclusion here, especially since it's essentially a, a double down of what happened last time uh, with the hostages. But Nathaniel Malik here uh, is in front of glasses at Afterlife. He's coaching Cora. Uh, she's able to shatter them with her powers. Brava! She spent years feeling dangerous. This is the first time she liked it. In a turn of events, Malik notes that her little sister will be so impressed. The dossier. A detailed look at our bad guys. We begin, Matt, with time. Yes, a reminder of the conflict in TV drama, usually person versus person, but here are agents versus, I don't know, the degradation of time, the, the nature of the physical universe, whatever it might be. Um, we, of course, get a very clear-cut villainous countdown in terms of A, the, the you know kilometer distance from the vortex, and B, the notion that they are circling the drain. So whatever difficulties there might be for an audience to understand this episode... Uh, things are well explained with the villain being time. And, and I'll mention as a side note, Pete, I think most people know that this sort of time loop story is not, uh, is not new. Uh, that's not a slam against shield at all. Just, you know, whether it's uh, star Trek, twilight zone, whatever it might be this, a familiar trope uh, in which they, they find heartbreaking drama. And to have a bottle episode style story here, um, I mean, not a not a true one in essence that, you know, they, they put somebody in an elevator or something like that. Uh, but to redo this, um, you wonder what Elizabeth Hensridge's reaction was when this came up as her directorial debut. It certainly presents its benefits and challenges. Yeah, I think obviously the challenge is this must have had a ton of uh, a ton of scenes to be shot. And I don't mean like scene in terms of this is where they're in the tech deck and things explode. Like in the script, you know, every single time somebody comes down the, the, uh, the ladder in a different way, every single time there's a slightly different take on the explosion, all that would have been uh, spelled out in the script. So my bet would be if 
if in a normal shield episode what do you say pete maybe something like 20 or 30 scenes um this is probably somewhere in the 70 80 90 scenes in terms of these little micro scenes of this time it's different here this time deke says says less this time he's cut off so i think that is that more to shoot yes is it also like understandable little bites that in scene 23b deke needs to say hey everybody and daisy says time vortex let's go and that's your scene you know that's that's it's easier to get that versus all right here's a five minute walk and talk uh steady cam unbroken ever needs to learn the lines to take enoch and to pose him in this episode both opposed to our agents and then ultimately sacrificing himself to save them is a really unique way to go about it yeah and i feel torn as to their decision to kill him off i think in a certain sense you're so close to the end why can't you just keep the team as is together but the flip side is you know there needs to be some sort of price paid not just because it's a joss whedon thing but you know because it's a drama thing because there needs to be that that heartache at the end as well um and story-wise i mean kudos to them for finding you know, a bottle episode that probably is meant to be a money saver ahead of the last four episodes. Uh, and if you're going to do a bottle episode, lean into the sci-fi. You have somebody who can be both the secret killer and not know that they're the secret killer. You can have the secret boss who ordered the kill, not know that they're the secret boss that ordered the kill. All that stuff there really, really kind of well-timed. And then you throw in the time vortex, well, then you get to remain on the one set as well. So in terms of having a bunch of boxes that I think this episode needed to check, it did it. Joel Stoffer is an absolute jewel. And I have to think you're messing around with time. He is both a robotic character and a time traveler that there's got to be some way in which he winds up in our finale. Particularly, and I know we're not into theories yet, but, my my theme this entire season has been the agents of shield are messing up the timeline and there's going to have to be some sort of reset uh if they want to remain in the main mcu and if not then then all bets are off but insofar as there needs to be this reset do you reset to a point where he is still around and you know off screen he gets to enjoy the 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 unwritten season eight adventures with them uh, because he comes back at the in the last episode because they've done a reset. I, I certainly hold out hope for that. Hey, Matt, Nathaniel Malik was in this episode and coaches somebody to blow up glasses. Yeah, in the writer's room on the whiteboard, I understand how you would say, and in the tag scene of this bottle episode, we're going to you know put our foot back on the gas of the main storyline that has been going on since you know uh since pa malik was reintroduced i guess what as a kid back in the 30s you know like it makes sense on paper emotionally it does not make sense if if we started next week with that scene if we started next week with whoa we're in 1985 or 99 you know whatever it is whenever it is that, that takes place and just started there we would remember from two weeks ago that Malik is the bad guy and Cora's doing this and they'd give us a previously on it was an ill-timed scene to keep the structure of the season arc intact when it doesn't need to be kept intact the larger upshot of that tag scene is name checking Cora as the sister of Daisy yes there had been a lot of debate I must confess watching last week's episode to me it was not entirely clear was was she uh, Jai Ying's child in kind of a metaphorical sense? Like you were here and I cared for you. Uh, right. Was she, she biological? She loves her. She never says, I love you, daughter, or yeah. anything like that. You know, to to definitively put that helps and really is the ultimate purpose of, of this scene. Did you need it? Like you're saying at the end of this episode, could you have gone with the, the silent you know, shield logo, the, the, the no, uh, noise 24 clock, if you will, um, to, to play you out. No tag. Uh, I might've argued for that. Alas, alas. Oh dear. As, as one might say.
Welcome to level seven. Time to analyze and theorize. Talked about it before. We'll delve fully into it now. Enoch gone for good? As I spelled out before, there needs to be a reset in the timeline because, you know, S.H.I.E.L.D. keeps trying to do the right thing and it keeps getting worse and worse and worse. Um, and to me, it will not be a um, it will not be a, a saint elsewhere, you know, massive reset. It won't be Dallas this season where it was all a dream. I will not be offended if at the end of this story, they loop back and did this season ever happen or it all got erased or it only happened in the alternate timeline. Now they're back in the main one. I kind of don't care. Take me on the adventure. Take me on the ride. Um, and I think that's the way in which you get, um, Enoch back. And I think to even go outside the show, Jeff Loeb has been so stalwart in saying that all these Marvel television shows are part of the MCU, even though, you know, we've discussed in the past in a practical level, have they been the lack of Marvel TV knowing about, uh, end game and things of that sort, knowing about, uh, infinity war, you know, is there a, is there a practical split between the two? Yes, and that's kind of like a real world thing within the world of the show. The intention is that they're all one, and now they clearly are not. They need to loop back. I can't imagine Jeff Loeb would allow, you know, the mothership of Agents of Shield to not remain in the main MCU timeline at the end of the show. And if they can get back to that point early enough, they can scoop up Enoch, and we will all be happy. It will we will be able to both own the death that occurred as an alternate and welcome him back. And then even that little hurt that we had, Pete, oh no, they're leaving him in the thirties, leaving him in the forties, leaving him in the fifties. Maybe he joins them in the thirties. And that, that's, as I said before, it's an all new, perhaps unseen series of adventures. Doubling down on that, that we would not see him again, leaving out some kind of reunion with Fitz. I mean, it's familiar territory to be so boggled that he isn't around. And I think perhaps in other podcasts, we have uh, downplayed the fact that his name does not appear in the credits. And maybe it's worth circling back at this point to say him not being a member of the season seven cast as credited, as I understand Screen Actors Guild credit rights and so on and so forth, my understanding has been... Um, at least for broadcast TV, that if your name appears in the credits, you're getting paid and it's up to the show to use you however they want to use you. And if they want to ultimately get rid of you and they have outs in the contract or whatever it might be, fine. There, there's that too. But if you're in the show, you're in the show. I know for some of the Marvel Netflix stuff, for some cable stuff, it'll be some weeks you're in the credits, some weeks you aren't. But to my mind, look, it's clear at this point, we've been in nine episodes. He's not in most of the season. You know, could he show up as a member of the credited cast uh, and only be in a couple episodes? I mean, I've seen it happen before. I believe the Lost finale had, you know, like 25 or 28, you know, full cast members credited for the finale, even though they weren't in the, the entire season. But boy, it's a weird story decision to have cut him out of what will now have been at least nine thirteenths of the season. I guess it begs the question, Pete, do we get him back, period, or did some strange thing happen behind the scenes where he's just not in this season, period? You're the one who brought up Lost, Matt, and I've asked you via text message, was he snagged on a DUI in Hawaii or a series of them? Uh, you, of course, referring to the fact, coincidental or otherwise, that uh, what, in season two, two or three of the people killed off had gotten... DUIs uh, on the interstate highway in the self-contained state of Hawaii. Um, it's just increasingly, you, you know, you want to say a couple episodes, you want to say, what, two seasons ago, uh, he's not in it, so he can do the Overlord movie, and he shows up at the end of episode four or five or whatever. Fine. It's just very, very strange. It's, it's, I don't know how much to read into it. Uh, I know we've discussed in the past, there appears... As, as near as we've been able to tell looking through news reports and looking through his IMDb, both of which can be imperfect, but we have not found evidence of, oh yeah, in early 2019, he took, you know, took time away from the show to go be in blank. 
Right. Um, the I length think... of time that he has spent away from this production. So nine episodes, this is approximately about six months worth of production. Yeah. Even with a four episode miniseries, it does not compute. I then have to wonder, you know, I think back to the, the, the first convention that, uh, that, that he did New York comic-con where I got to ask him a question. Um, the, the reticence that he's had for some of the publicity stuff and yes, he's gone out and done it, but it's kind of like some of that, you know, like he's not super busy on social media. It's, it, he's it's not a, on social media. <laughs> yeah. I mean, occasionally he'll post stuff to, to Instagram or the Instagram story, that kind of thing. I mean, you wonder, is there some sort of exterior thing other than story other than, Hey, could you write me out for a little bit so I can go do this, this thing? I, I don't know. I imagine we're going to find out eventually. Um, but but I don't know. Who knows? What may work towards some form of explanation is the really loaded line and reaction from Simmons, what have I done? Yeah. I mean, that moment very, very clearly, I think, was meant to be set up for answering some of these concerns. It, it certainly was not meant to be self-contained. I'll add to that, Pete, and maybe this is a theory thing. Maybe I was just unclear about something that, that the episode otherwise made clear. Are, are there still question marks about the cologne in the drawer? And was that is that a thread for the future? Or, or, or what's up with that? I think it was just used as this is where Deke put a bunch of stuff and it's dated and wait, this could be booby trapped. It was at one point. That's what I got out of that. Unless, you know, Fitz is inside the Rubik's cube or something. <laughs> I mean, I, I just felt like there were some shots of Simmons looking in there that was, you know, a la looking into the suitcase in Pulp Fiction where it's like, you know, she, she said it's Deke's cologne, but it's Fitz's cologne or she said it, you know, like, Again, that was a little unclear. Maybe it was her intuition about there being a trap in there. Maybe it's a big thing next week. You know, I guess something else where we'll have to wait and see. Dusa, Matt, is this a thing that works? Is this, this character has yet to latch on to someone. This other character is available. They have had scenes together. There's not a terrible differential in age. Let's put them together. To me, it is a pairing that makes sense. I think maybe you're a little less on board with it, but insofar as, you know, she's the, she's the agent who's out in the cold. He's an agent, you know, of a different type, but he's an agent who's been there in the the high stakes world of uh, espionage and whatnot. And then now thrown into this, this jarring change in his life i i feel like it's a good pairing story-wise i feel like the actors have a chemistry i feel like you know we root for Sousa as the guy who the guy who seems to be pining for peggy carter the guy who stood by her in the show in you know in, in the in the agent carter show um we can root for him we can root for her also you know as we start to look for clues in how the show is going to do the end to be continued and, and whatever, you know, whatever we're going to be left with at the end of that episode to know, Hey, the two of them found peace, companionship, love, etc. I would be very, very happy to know that that's how her storyline ended. I mean, I'm, I'm a Sousa fan, but obviously much less so than, than Daisy who's been around all these seasons. Is this ship your OTP? I don't know what OTP means. One true pair. Oh, um, see again, Pete, sometimes I just feel what I feel. I didn't know that there were all these categories. Uh, I, I feel like it makes sense. I also, I, I, I had jokingly sent this your way via text. I'll give a version of it now. I wonder if maybe in the pairing, maybe there's a slight echo of Marissa Tancherone and Jed Whedon, um, and I'm not saying anything necessarily beyond that in terms of, oh, and here's how I can deconstruct it as a theory, just to whatever degree that it might be that they see versions of themselves in those characters. Uh, 
maybe there's that too. Like if you kind of feel like this is a little thrust upon the story, maybe there, maybe there's that too. Um, you know, I'm Pete, I'm less of a Felinda faithful than, than, than you are, than the ladies at the Felinda podcast are. Um, I certainly, I'm for that pairing. I don't know that the show has made it central to the agents of shield experience, but I think that for Daisy and Sousa, it's become central to their existence in the here and now. Well, I mean, I think we go all the way back to the beginning with Fitzsimmons and, you know, what the show's really had to say about that over six seasons, because it's not a seventh season thing. At least it is for one character and (laughs) their grandson and not the other character. But I digress. Well, I, I, I would just I would just say in response to that, the Fitzsimmons, the, the Fitzsimmons romance is one that we all we all saw the potential there. Like, as you sometimes see in real life where it's like, oh, it it you two finally figured out that you should be a pair. We've all seen it all along. I, I think that we all saw that all along, too. Not that the journey hasn't been great, not that Fitz missing doesn't hurt, but I think that it's been it's been satisfyingly logical, whereas Daisy and Sousa you kind of didn't see coming until all of a sudden you said, Oh, he, he really is kind of looking out for her. He really is tender towards her and so forth. If only Jane Espenson had something to say about this. Yes. Pete, in the last week, Jane Espenson writer on Buffy Battlestar Galactica showrunner for Caprica, um, walking dead, walking dead. She, uh, was on the judge John Hodgman podcast. Um, she who wrote his part in Battlestar Galactica, by the way. Um, and, she noted something that I feel like this is a quote that I'm going to carry with me for a long time in terms of how I look at my own views on TV and, and how we, how I look at other people viewing TV. She said that every show that has an audience, that audience experience is a combination of what the show was giving to the audience and what the audience was giving back. Now, of course the show oftentimes is not necessarily writing in response to what people are giving back. uh, But kind of, your individual definition of here's what Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. means to me. Here's the characters that I place in high priority. Here's the relationships that I value. That was that process was started when the show gave you stuff, but then you have now given stuff back in terms of your own experience and your own interpretation. So as I see some people concerned with how the show is going to land the finale, and I think there are definitely people... Pete, there are people that we have a great deal of respect for who I think suspect the show is going to mess up the finale big time. Um, I think that that perhaps is an outgrowth out of, again, the show gives us things and then we individually are giving back into our own experience of the show. And if you want, at the very end, if you want, you know, Colson is now the star clown in a traveling circus in the 1920s if that's what you want and you have all these you can explain how your theory got there that's fine but that's not necessarily where the show itself wants to land last one matt we're told by enoch the friends will survive but the team will not he's seen the future this will be their last mission obviously statement of theme here more so important given we know this is the last go round instead of some kind of potential cancellation in the offing um will or potential be... redemption you know redemption absolutely uh and and not the secret renewal people keep bandying about <laughs> um i a couple of thoughts here first of all i think that I think that for we, the audience, to want to deny the show its own agency, and when I say it, uh, the show is obviously not alive, for us to deny the creators, the writers, etc., the agency to end the show the way they want to, I think that, you know, again, it comes back to that Jane Espenson quote, we want the universe of possibilities, and even if the show is not going to continue, we want the universe of possibilities for our favorite characters after the show ends they killed colson at the end of season five and we're not expecting the renewal period the end finito what what they started and yes the show didn't start colson but what they started 
they they picked a finish point and had that taken away for the best of reasons, not because of secret cancellation, not because of surprise non-renewal, uh, because you know twenty six episodes came after that. You can bet you that they've that they want you know they've been given this ending, they've been given this privilege, and they're going to end it the way they want to end it. Now that might not please everybody out there that might not please you or me but it's going to be the ending that they chose and i think we should be prepared for the possibility that's going to be an ending that's not setting up the disney plus spinoff series it's not going to be setting up the season eight comic that's just going to be the end period for their own reasons then layer in the beef between marvel tv and marvel studios layer in the fact that now marvel tv is under marvel studios layer in my theory unsubstantiated to be true but my theory that kevin feige has a beef for jeff loeb and even if all the fans were crying out for you know take your pick the daisy seuss spinoff the fitzsimmons whatever it is it'll just be like nope we're never going down that road again because i say so and i'm kevin feige and i win when everybody in new york used to call me a loser now i win and i control it all but be prepared for the end to be a big end with maybe not a lot of hope for the future transmissions let's check the wire pete to the twitter poll we go one healing tube again got two percent really this is a one out of four come on that's a jerk vote right there uh two phlebotonyms got six percent three swoons for hashtag dusa got 14 percent and then four so many tears oh dear got 78 percent i think reflective of a very strong episode uh some tweets here First one from AKA Frank Castle. It's at DJ Black, B L A K 357, uh, underscore between the DJ and the Black. Uh, he says, This needs to be said. Nathan is the worst villain they could have had in the final season. Just a mech character, whiny and spoiled, just not believable. The actor's portrayal. Uh, personality, I, personally, I think they should have went with his brother instead, um, which is an interesting take. I continue to see. Nathan and the Malik's this season through, uh, as we've hinted at before, <clears throat> modern eyes, uh, the corrupt father, the idiot son, and the other idiot son. Um, I think if I step back from that for a second and see things a bit more objectively, uh, I'm, I think I'm with DJ Black there. Um, oh, in fact, Pete, another tweet here from DJ Black. Wow, definitely my favorite episode uh, of the season and maybe the best in my opinion. Everything that happened uh never happened the kiss the murder Gemma's breakdown i think enoch's speech was to all of us to mm-hmm. enoch see you at the crossroads so you won't be lonely next up are a pair of tweets from andre yeager that's at dr polo 1983 way too emotional not gonna be easy getting to sleep tonight really gonna miss enoch and i forgot uh at elizabeth henstridge did an excellent job in her directorial debut bravo Uh, We also heard from J.T. Atkins. Is that J.T.A. is me? I'm a sucker for a time loop story, but this was a great one. It was also multifaceted. The time loop wasn't just a fun storytelling device. They also managed to work in a Dusa romance, Enoch's drama, and Simmons's worrisome unexplained weeping. Excellent job at Elizabeth Henstridge. Uh, Next, we heard from David Siller. It's at Siller David Poet. So, how stuck will I be in the loop as I inevitably... Uh, rewatch this episode repeatedly agents of shield continues to deliver bigger and better episodes every week makes my wednesday every wednesday and last but not least from the twitter machine we heard from stuff happens that's at k c l y l e one who says another great show i'm generally not a huge fan of these sorts of time loop episodes but i think they did a better job than most shows the show's ability to interject humor into the most dramatic situations never ceases to amaze me and the actor's delivery of the lines sells it elizabeth henstridge did an amazing job in front of and behind the camera not sure if it's intentional but enoch is so reminiscent of commander data the one with no emotion but elicits so much emotion from the other character uh, from the other characters in the audience amazing job joel stoffer it was also nice to see an episode with just the team and no other characters dang i'm gonna miss this show Pete, what do you have from Facebook? Brooke Warzella writes in, I only discovered your podcast this season as I came late to the whole AOS fandom. 
I am now rewatching the series through your podcast after doing a few Netflix rewatches. As I crawl through season five with you in my ears, I am hoping that one of you, please, for the love of God, turns off your text notification sound. That singular ding of a glockenspiel makes me crazy as I hear it, then check to find no new text for me. Anywho, y'all are the best, as you know. Thanks for all of this good work. Pete, I will hereby make a podcast pledge for the final four episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Of course, podcasted over three weeks since it's still presumed to be a double-length episode uh, for the finale. There will be zero glockenspiels. (laughs) Glockenspiel free. Uh, Steve Adams writes in, uh, wow, what an episode of AOS. I might have to put this in the top five for the whole series. Four stars, obviously. It had everything. Manic pacing, good, timely exposition, humor, introspection, real stakes, and an ending I did not see coming, nor was I prepared for it. Enoch, sigh. Just when this show seems like it is starting to slide a bit, it hits us with an episode like this. Very well done, and I can't wait for next week. Finally, Robert T. Frost writes in, Episode 709, this episode reminds me of the movie Ark, A-R-Q, protagonist trapped in a time loop caused by a time device that has and uses great energy. That said, I very much enjoyed Elizabeth Hentred's directorial debut in a very technical episode to orchestrate. I've seen many people online celebrating Daisy and Sousa's kiss. I'm sorry, not my moment, not my ship. In fact, I'd like to sink this ship permanently. Please give me the tight carrying bond that two soldiers in combat can experience. Lastly, my theory for the end of the series. We will make it back to 2012, where Sousa can become the police officer we see in the Avengers, and will LMD Coulson infiltrate the helicarrier and replace Coulson Prime and pull him out of history, much like they did for Sousa. This theory relies on the predication that they have mixed up all the timelines and are not interested in trying to reset it back to the original. P.S. Would Kevin Feige even allow this level of tampering? Till next episode, your friend, Bob. That's a really, really great theory. And if there might be instances where it falls apart, you know, like, for example, uh when Coulson died at the end of season five or some of the medical scans leading up to it, like why wouldn't he, he be revealed as a, as an LMD? I think at a certain point, again, this relationship between shows intent and, and audience and whatnot, uh, I would not be there pounding my fist after the last episode saying, but wait, in episode five twelve, there's a medical scanner that like I, at a certain point you say, give me, give me the emotion, even if it doesn't sync up, with all 138 episodes of, of shield, you know, if it's contradicted in four scenes across seven years, give me, give me the heart without necessarily the, the, I don't know, the, the technological, technological thing behind it. So I, I really dig that. Um, and again, you know, the show does, as I said before, the show is both part of the MCU and not. And uh, even before this, you know, time travel stuff of this season or previous seasons the practical matter is it's both in it and not so if you want to give some sort of answer that straddles the line between the two that's okay if you want to hide the fact that there was a medical scan in 513 that shows he's completely human and you want to say well that's because we're in you know the slightly different alternate timeline that's like mcu you know a as opposed to mcu prime 
you can hide that in there in a way where maybe you couldn't necessarily with, you know, Star Trek or with, you know, choose something a bit more, you know, a terrestrial bound, you know, with, you know, ER or something like that. You, you have the wiggle room to just say, you know, sci-fi comic book, eh, give me, give me, give me a heartful ending, not necessarily one that's truthful. Well, speaking of the truth with all heart, Matt, the good people at patreon.com slash fantastic geek, they keep us going. They've been with us all season long, all series long, and they keep us listener supported, which means so, so much to us. And, you know, they've gone to patreon.com slash fantastic geek. They're helping us with the real world costs that do accrue. And we are just so proud to have them along as our agents on our time machine ship can't contribute this month and we certainly understand given all the economic unrest you can get yourself over to apple podcasts take a minute leave us a review really really helps everybody find us so pete in these final four episodes across the presumed three weeks how can people be in touch with you to talk agents of shield you can find me on twitter at peter p-i-e T-E-R-J-K-E-L-A-R, K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 11,360 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter, looking back, lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the P-H, all one word, like it today. Well, as mentioned at the top or one of the tops of the podcast we will be covering some of the san diego comic-con at home goings on for shield and star trek uh tomorrow so if you're listening to us on the agents of shield feed you'll get the shield info tomorrow if you're listening to us in the pop culture podcast feed look for both regardless we'll be back next saturday to talk episode 710 of agents of shield with that pete i will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word oh my i do not feel well at all